Well, thank you very much. Thank you for the lovely warm welcome. It's nice to, nice to be here. Uh, every so often we um, like to hear testimonies of what God is doing. So that's what we're going to do this morning. What is God up to? Let's find out what he's up to. We're going to look at two key areas. We're going to look at what's God up to amongst our young people. And we're going to hear a testimony of God moving powerfully in someone's life. Uh, so uh, we're going to have Andy up first, and then Dennis is going to come and share what God's done in his life. Let's make Andy feel really, really welcome. You all right? I'm very well, thank Good. you. I put a shirt on for Hazelmere. Please yeah, don't. it was a bit embarrassing, the town centre. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Andy, uh, it's your first year, actually. Um, you're in your first year of leading our youth work. You picked up from Rich Horn earlier this year. Uh, and, of course, part of the blessing of that is you get to lead our young people at New Desk. It's the first time you've been in charge of that. And so for those who might not be familiar with New Day, can you just uh, unpack what it is, who it's for, and what happens at New Day? Sure. So New Day is an annual Christian festival for young people between the ages of 12 and 19. Now, whilst it is majorly attended by Christians and believers, it's open to anyone. It's open to anyone of any background. It is camping as well. So that brings... uh, that brings challenges, and it's all done under the New Frontiers bannerhead, and King's Church is part of New Frontiers as a, as a wider organisation. So what does a typical day look like? What's, what happens in a day, a new day? So it's an early start, to be honest with you. It's an early start, and there is a huge enthusiasm on the first couple of days to get up early and just see what's going to happen throughout the rest of the day. Um, as the week goes on, it's a bit more subdued, but they have, they have meetings, they have teachings throughout the day, and they organize sports events as well. So it's a great time for whatever you want to get involved in to join in a larger community with other believers. So how many young people did we take this year? So this year we took a double-decker coach and we took 68 young people. And it's good, isn't it? 68 young people. But also a mixture... So had a mixture of those who come to church every Sunday or really feel part of life here at King's, but also a number for whom actually connection with church isn't, isn't, isn't what they do. So what, roughly what was that mix? So we had quite a diverse mix of um, youth, and I would say 55 of those youth were youth that we see regularly, our regular church attenders, and the remaining 13 are ones that perhaps we've never met at all or ones that we see very sporadically, and in some cases, just come to New Day. So, uh, I went to New Day this year. It's very clear in the Bible that husbands submit to your wives as unto the Lord, something like that. And I was, I was on the catering team. My wife was heading the catering team. There was no, it wasn't going to work any other way, I can assure you. And we believe in miracles. I mean, we see miracles at New Day. And the miracle this year at New Day is no one got sick because of the food. And that was the first prayer that, that we had. But actually, we do have high expectation. We've seen God move very, very powerfully in previous years. And that was the expectation for this year as well. So how do we see God move amongst people for whom church isn't the regular thing that they do? Well, it's fantastic because some of the youth that we hardly ever see or had met for the first time, uh, still experienced healing. So we had two particular examples. We had one where a girl, one of our older 
youth had really hurt her back quite significantly. And movement was causing spasms and causing a lot of pain. And she attended one of the meetings and just God moved. Unsurprisingly, it's not an exclusive club, thankfully. And it just healed her back. And to see her in the meeting moving her back and they always encourage you, just try it out if it's safe to do so. Let's see how the Lord has moved. So to see her moving about and the look on her face was fantastic. And that ran from not just our older members, but one of our youngest campers as well had experienced a really bad foot. And that foot was causing them a lot of pain and it was affecting the way they moved. And again, to see that young man hairing it up and down the aisles, um, just rejoicing that he'd been healed was was amazing. So we saw God move not just against our our regular church attenders, but also on people that had never had an experience of the Lord before. And what was it like in terms of atmosphere, Andy, in terms of young people, how they interacted with each other? What was that like? So you, one of the daunting things doing running New Day um, for the first time, admittedly with a huge amount of support, is that you think, it's some, there is a point where you think, we're taking 68 teenagers camping. And this was at a time when we were just at the end of that heat wave. So we were worried about how that was going to affect sleep, whether people would sleep. But to see them work together in community was amazing. It it was the Lord. So you've got the youngest guys and girls um, joining in with games and activities with the older ones. And that wasn't necessarily always the case that other churches were experiencing. We had the opportunity to speak with some other leaders who just didn't see the amount of community that we had and I'll give you an example of it is that after you eat you've got to tidy up you've got to tidy up and you've got 68 teenagers eating so there's a rotor where you have to clean the marquee where we're eating then you've got to wash up the dreaded washing up nobody wants to wash everybody wants to dry by the way they want to wash up dry up and then put the stuff away but not having to chase people you know Non-believers as well, not having to chase people is that they wanted to do it together as a community was, again, it clearly was the Lord. And in terms of our young people experiencing God, uh, how did they experience him and what impact did he have? So again, um, we just saw the Lord moving, not just in healing, uh, which was fantastic in itself, but again, shepherding others was a huge part of what happened. So we had a guy who had never been to church before, uh, a young man. And there was an altar call, which is where the young people are given an opportunity to make a commitment to the Lord. Now, if you can imagine, if you're not bold and there's 7,000 people in a big top and you're near the back, that's a long walk down to the front. And this young man was looking around. He started walking and he looked around. He hesitated because he needed somebody to go with him. And one of our regular church attenders, who is not somebody I would say is bold or wants to get up and speak, no hesitation, just I'm going with you. I will stand alongside you and I'll go with you. And we also had a prophetic word for one of the girls. She'd been praying in one of our youth meetings saying, Lord, I want to hear from you. It never happened before. And the word came, you are ankle deep in the water. And I want you to come deeper. So that's someone amongst the youth leadership that had that word for her. Is that right? By name. Yeah. So she finished praying for a word and then that word was given to her by name. So she was, okay, Lord, 
you have my attention. And then when we went to New Day in the second or third meeting, one of the meeting leaders got up and said, there are people in this room where the Lord is saying to you, you are ankle deep in the water and I want you to come deeper. Now to be able to stand in the meeting and catch her eyes, she looks round and just was, was really special. And those were just some of the ways in which the Lord moved amongst the young people. So now you're back from New Day. How would you summarize sort of the effect that New Day has on our young people? So we have a broad demographic of people that attend on a Sunday morning as an example. Some of those people want to be there and some of those people, their parents strongly encourage them to come. But after coming from New Day... Some of those young people are hungry for God's word. In an amazing sense that I was last Sunday in the meeting light. As they wanted to go through Joshua and understand the story. So there is a hunger. And also um, some of our older youth as well, who, who are still part of that 12 to 19 group saying, Andy, where can I get involved? How can I serve these younger ones? And that's the Lord. That's not what I'm doing. That's the Lord. So it's a huge change, and the Lord is starting to, as you said earlier, he is starting to turn up the temperature. He is hungry for these young people, and they are starting to realize just how hungry the Lord is and reciprocate. So how do we maintain that sort of that spiritual temperature? How do we keep that going? Well, that's fantastic, Richard. Thank you <laughs> for leading us there. Because It's as though we've rehearsed this, isn't it's it? Like a, it's like a... Seamless link, isn't it? (laughs) So, this half term in October, we are going to Utoxita. Why are we going there? I'll be honest, I didn't know where that was until I was told that was where we were going. It's 15 minutes drive from Alton Towers. So, in October half term, on Saturday the 20th of October until Monday the 22nd, we will be going away, having some fellowship time together, some worship time together. We'll be soaking in the Lord and also we'll be having a day at Alton Towers. If you have young people of 12 to 19 that you think would benefit from that, please, please organize for them to come. If you know of anyone, if you have friends and cho- who have children this age who you think, I'd like them to be one of those people that makes that commitment, please ask them to come. It is not exclusively for church members, and please do not let finances get in the way of letting your young people come. My details are on here. This card is out on the auditorium outside on the foyer, pardon, Um, and we'd just love to see as many people come as possible. Andy, that's great. Thanks so much. Let's keep praying for our young people. We like them. The Lord likes them, and it's so exciting to see God moving powerfully in their lives. We're now going to hear from Dennis, so let's make Dennis feel super welcome as he joins me here. Like the whoop. (laughs) I told you it was friendly here, Dennis. So Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you for being here this morning. Tell us a little bit of your story. Uh, Originally, you were were born in Malaysia. Uh, You lived there for the first 18 years of your life, and then you moved to England to study at university here, and we'll talk about that a little bit later and how you came to High Wycombe. But if we go back to childhood, uh, the key things that were significant in your growing up and your childhood at home, what, what were those things, Dennis? Um, I come from a Buddhist Taoist background. So my family are still Buddhist and Taoist back home. 
Um, but I went to a missionary-run primary school, so run by Catholics. So it was quite confusing as a child because obviously I would be exposed to you know, teach, Jesus' teachings and Bible stories in school. We would go to pr- uh, pray in the church. But when I get home, I need to then go to the family altars and pray to the Buddhists and Taoist gods. So I thought it was quite a confusing period for, for me as a child anyways. So you've got this big, big contradiction going on. How did you reconcile that, the stuff that was going on at home and, and school? It was really difficult because obviously I believed in the stories I was being taught in school, but you know, practicing the family traditions, worship of um, our ancestors, um, of Taoist gods and Buddhist gods, that was that's very ingrained into our cultures and family traditions, and is is utmost important to honor them within the family. So, I, I really had a very difficult time reconciling the two, um, to the point that I actually just ended up believing in a higher power rather than trying to label him as a Buddhist or Taoist or Christian in that sense. So you believed in a higher power, but really not labeling it as that, being quite sort of middle of the road on that. 18, massive change for you, because you come to the UK for the first time. You haven't been here before. You end up uh, studying biomedical sciences at Newcastle University. Um, What was university life like here? Um, bear in mind that it was my first time leaving home and um, thousands of miles away from my parents. Um, loved them, but it was a freedom that I never had before. So, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually partied very hard in university, but, but I, had, I did work very hard as well. So I'll go clubbing out with my friends. The club closes at two. Um, everyone goes home drunk, but I will actually go home, take a shower, finish my tutorial homework, and... Uh, and actually attend tutorials the next day and answer all the questions that has been put forward. So um, I, I, it, it was an interesting time where I partied hard and worked really hard as well. Um, I, I guess the background of it was I really enjoyed university life. I really enjoyed the university education because it gave me a lot of freedom uh, in the sense that back home in, in, in Asian studies, you're pretty much spoon-fed and memorized facts. Whereas in the education system, especially in university, you're taught the basic tenets and the facts, but it's up to your creativity to sort of link them up together. So that's what I really enjoyed about it. So that worked well for you. You enjoyed that, didn't you? That sort of creative ability to think creatively. So you're in this partying atmosphere, enjoying it. Where did God fit into all this? Uh, God was still an unnamed um, higher power that I refused to fit into any institution of worship or religion. So I still believed in him, but he was still this vapors, um, higher power. Okay, so so you finish at university. You, you actually stay four years at university. You do a master's degree in international financial analysis, which sounds hard. It does sound quite hard. And uh, so you you built up a lot of friends. So it was very social for you, and then you moved down from the northeast of England, down to the southeast, and you move to London, you get a job as an account, trainee accountant at Deloitte's, which sounds glamorous, but I'm sure it was hard work. So you, now you're down in London. What's London life like? Um, London life was what a 20-something, highly impressionable youth would think it is. Um, it was bright lights, and if I partied hard in Newcastle, <laughs> I guess you can guess where this is going, I partied even harder in London. Um, it, 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 got quite, it got quite destructive, I guess. Um, I was 
I mean, it was really expensive to party out in London, and you know, I, I got caught up with fashionable society. You know, you, you almost have to have the latest things, the latest fashions. Um, it, it wasn't just the fashions that was the latest that you must have. It must be the most expensive label. Um, yeah, and I guess as a result of that, you know, it was quite a destructive lifestyle, and I, I ran up into a lot of credit card debt. So we're going to come back to that later. So you were, so you're working hard. You're working so hard, you're struggling to, to keep up with your old university friends. You're making new friends at the same time in London. But then one day out of the blue, you get a message about a friend of yours, Alan, who, whom you'd known uh, very, very well and been close to uh, in Newcastle. What happened? Um, it was my 27th birthday. Um, Alan joined the army after university, went to Afghanistan for two tours, came back without a scratch. Um, but on my birth, 27th birthday, I, res- I received a phone call and one of his military friends called me to tell me that Alan had passed away in a car accident um, on my birthday. And it was always a shock because after this point in time, I mean, I was partying hard, I was working hard, but I was really trying to build my career, sort of sort an identity out for myself. And I keep putting my family and friends on hold, on the back burner, thinking that, you know, once I get up the ladder, once, once I get to that proverbial there... I'll have time to slow down and you know, hang out, you know. But when I got that call, I just felt robbed of time that I thought I would have my friend. So you, you're with your sister, you're in Manchester, and you go to a Buddhist temple with her and you pray. And you're really praying as a result of what you've experienced with, with losing a friend. What did you pray? I prayed that, you know, I don't ask for much. I really just pray that, you know, keep my family and friends safe and keep them healthy, but, you know, t- Ultimately, it's keeping them safe. So that was your prayer. Then what happened? Because then you have another really quite dramatic year. What happened after that? Soon after Ellen's death, um, I wasn't allowing myself to grieve much, so I, so I burnt myself into more work, more spending. Um, and now one day I was crossing the bridge, heading towards work, um, to Southwark Bridge, and I noticed someone was on the wrong side of the bridge, on the other side of the railings, and I walked past him. And something prompted me to say, you know, just because you've lost a friend doesn't mean you should stop being caring. You know, this is not the person that you are. So I turned around to ask, because I was going to ask him what he's doing and to maybe encourage him to get over to the right side of the railings. But as I turned around, our eyes locked and he leaned back and fell off the bridge. Um, and then I think it was just one of many things that happened that year. Then obviously I was really devastated by losing Ellen and then seeing this happen as well. And I had a really close friend at the time who was, was one of my flatmates who was helping me through the grief of losing Alan. And, um, this was a friend you met at work, isn't it? We lived together in a shared okay. house and we're right. just really, really close. Mm. And she felt that I, she was helping me through my grief and she was thinking that, you know, for your 28th birthday, let's do a party, let's do, celebrate his life and your life and just do something joyful. Um, but unfortunately, the, the bank holiday weekend in August leading to my birthday, she was in the fire in Canary Wharf, so she died as well. So, you, I mean, you're, you're reeling from all this. How did this affect you? What, what were you thinking at that time? Um, it made me question a lot of things. I mean, my life was spiraling rapidly out of control. I mean, I was trying to find happiness. I was trying to find some sense of identity through work. I was working harder and harder just to prove myself. I was spending harder to prove myself. But I just wasn't getting anywhere. And I just felt really lost. And I just felt like I was losing all my close friends. 
literally. Yeah, it was a tough time. Now, of course, your job is very demanding. And on the surface, it looks actually you've got a really glamorous uh, job. You were traveling around various places in Europe. And you told me you were, you were doing one job. You were in uh, Monaco, which sounds nice, in Monaco. And the partner for Deloitte is due to come out. And I think you said you had like eight hours sleep in the week because you're, you're constantly deadline-driven. You have to get this work done. You're auditing this account, this, this uh, client. And um, it's a very, very demanding time for you. But something significant happened. What, what happened? Um, so it was midweek, and the partner was flying out the next morning um, to review the, or the opinion that was the report that I was writing out on the client's finances. I was already working on various clients up to that point. You know, very little sleep, exhausted emotionally and physically, not allowing myself to grieve. Um, but it got to a point in the wee hours of the morning that I thought, I, I can't finish this report now. I'm just, I'm just that exhausted. I thought I'm just going to take a two-hour nap. Granted, I have only just an eight hours sleep for the whole week. I was going to take a two-hour nap to tide myself over to wake up at maybe four in the morning, finish off the report just in time for the partner coming in at breakfast. Um, so I stopped working and laid down in my bed. Um, and because how exhausted I was, immediately I fell asleep. And it, I started dreaming. And it was a very, very vivid dream. Uh, in my dream, I started dreaming that I was in a huge stone building, church-like in appearance and there was a lot of people in the church and a central person sitting on a wooden bench in the middle of the church and in the dream everyone was informed that they had to do a task but they had to do it in pairs so I went around asking everyone in the church if I could pair up with them and they weren't being mean but they, but they replied that they can't only because they have already paired up with someone so I started going around one by one to everyone in the church until the only person left to ask was the person in the middle of the church on that wooden bench so I approached him and said, um, that's this task we're all meant to do in pairs. Can I do it with you? So he smiled and said, yes, but only if you want me to. But in my dream, I, even in my dream, I felt sad because I've asked him. So I said, oh, but I've asked you to. You know, like, I wouldn't have asked you if I didn't want to pair up with you. So he smiled again and said, I can come to you, but only if you want me to. So I said yes, and immediately this very white, hot light flooded my entire being, and I knew I wasn't, I wasn't dreaming, I wasn't in a stone church in the middle of nowhere, I was very suddenly aware that I was in my hotel room, it was like someone shining a bright light across my closed eyelids, and I felt like I was floating off the bed, and a gentle hand was just holding me down, comforting me, and as immediately as the vision started, it ended, and, and when the vision ended, I was just awake. It wasn't as if I was asleep and, and I slowly woke up, but it was just, I was just suddenly awake, very, very much awake. And I was the most refreshed I've been in the longest time. Um, I wasn't exhausted emotionally or, or physically. I was just amazingly refreshed. Uh, who, what impression did you have of who that person was that you decided to partner with? I mean, he never said who he was in the dream. I mean, he, he was just very gentle about it the whole time. But when, when I woke up, I knew it was the Christian God, and I said I will follow him. So you decided, right, I'm going to follow him. What was your next step, Dennis? So I came back from Monaco and, um, and told some of my really close friends, including my flatmate at the time, who was bringing me to HDB. She obviously burst into tears, crying, 
tears of joy. Um, and immediately I told the pastor of the small group that I was sort of semi-attending at the time that, you know, of, of, of this dream and vision and that I wanted to be baptized. And I think I got baptized at HDB about three months after that. So that's a, coming from your background, it sounds like a very, very big step. And actually you take another big step after that. You leave your job at Deloitte's, uh, but then it's the struggle after struggle. Your, your dad became very ill with cancer in Malaysia. You went back home for a while. In that sort of next phase of, of, of struggle, how did you see God move? It was a difficult time. I mean, it came to a point in time where I felt it was right for me to leave Deloitte because I was so buried in work. There was no way I could get myself up, so I left work. Um, at, at the same time, that I, at the, it was God's timing. I, after I quit my job, I found out my dad had cancer. So I flew back home and spent time with him, and he was getting better at the time, so that I flew back to the UK. But I couldn't find a job because I was overqualified for all the jobs I was going for. It was a very difficult and trying time, but in hindsight, it meant that I could Skype my dad every day. I mean, my dad later subsequently passed away later that year, but up to the point of him passing away, I was Skyping with him all the time. When he was watching telly, we leave the Skype on, so you know, we're spending time together all that time. And also at the time, that, that, during that period of time, HDV was sort of revamping their cafe and bookshop. And it meant I had the free time to offer my services, to be part of setting it up, you know, being part of the commun- church community at the time. Uh, like in hindsight, it was a difficult time, and we had I had church friends who prayed together. We who support we and supported each other through prayer, and you know we knew it was a time that God was with us. Although it was trying time, but we knew God was with us as well. It was strengthening me, me in my faith, in my walk with Him. So quite amazing time. God does a number of things for you, and then out of the blue, you get called for an interview in, in High Wick. In fact, you've got two jobs, potentially, you could go for. You come to, to High Wickham. Uh, tell us what happened when you came here and what God did. Um, so I had two interviews at a time, one for a permanent role in London for a gaming company, which I didn't feel right for, but it was a permanent role. And, and the second role was in a town called High Wickham, uh, contracting for 12 months. I was like, mm, no, no. But... But I came out anyway um, and for the interview, and they offered me the job the next day to start in, the, in three days' time. Um, I prayed about it, and you know, although it, on paper, it seems like it wasn't the right choice for me because it was a temporary position. I didn't know High Wickham. I didn't know where I would be living, who my friends would be. So I went back to Manchester at the time because I was, I was crashing at hers because I rent through, burnt through my savings, um, paying for rent in London without a job. Um, so I started searching for places to stay in High Wycombe. And the first place I found on Gumtree uh, for a room to rent, God said, this is the place where you'll be. Um, but I thought, nah. And, and, and the logical me says, I need to look for a few more contingency, a few backups. And so when I came down to High Wycombe to look at the properties, uh, by twist of fate, that I ended up viewing all the other properties first. But it wasn't right. Um, it was too far. There were just various things that wasn't quite right for it because I didn't drive at the time. So when it came to going for the viewing the last property, I was in the taxi and I was pulling up. And I was, I was chatting the taxi driver at this time. And he said, you should just take this place even without viewing it. I'm like, what do you mean? So you see the, the house, the room that you'll be renting at is on your left. If you look across the right, in between the two gaps, between the two houses, across the alleyway, there is Johnson Johnson. That's where you had the job. Yeah. 
So you didn't know, you just... No, I just went and, 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 and it turned out to be a quite a good place. I could literally cr- crawl out of bed and walk to work and not finish a song on iTunes, you know, so... Yeah. So you mentioned actually that... that you, bit, you built up a lot of debt, lifestyle, living in London there. That's, that's all expensive. What happened with that debt? So, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things then happened since then, a lot of circumstances. Without boring you the detail about tax years and all that on contracting laws and things like that. But it meant that I paid off all my credit cards within three months of working in Johnson Johnson. Um, and it was by his grace, you know, and... My, my, my dad passed on as well. His, his business was doing quite badly. So, um, but I'm now in a position where I could actually send money home to help my mom out as well. So you know, it's really by God's grace. And also that temporary job of contracting for 12 months, um, they cancelled it after seven months and made me permanent. So you end up at King's Church. How did that happen? Um, so up to this point, I was still going up to HDB every week to surf and the people out of church. But then I felt God prompting me to be active in my local church because I was working here but not spending any of my social times in High Wycombe at all. So there was one Sunday once moving and I couldn't go back to London in time. So I decided to explore the churches in High Wycombe. And there was a church near me on the brow of a hill, but when I got there, the services just ended. So I thought, I'll just keep walking to town, and I thought there was this church I walked, that I've always gone past by on the bus, and I thought I'll try out, so I walked into King's. And obviously, uh, Jeff caught sight of me and spoke to me. Um, you can't avoid Jeff if you knew. No, I know. That's, that's, that's fair. Eagle-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I said, and after having a chat with him, I, I joined the service, and it was, just very, it was just very warming, because when I walked in, you know, coming from HDB, I thought, oh, how cute and how quaint. But, <laughs> but, but it was just very warm because I could see, you know, grandparents playing their grandchildren. It was very fami- it was a fam- it was a very generational, very, f- a very fam- familial and very familiar church. And when the service started, the worship started. I, you know, I joined the worship and I prayed and I felt the presence of the Lord was in the place. And then I, I knew then that 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 was home was going to be. So when Jeff came and spoke to me afterwards and asked if I was going to come back next week, I said, I will, but not so soon, because I needed to go back and, and inform my pastors. Finish things well at HTB, effectively. Great. Dennis, if you look back to life before you accepted Jesus, and you look to life now, how would you sum up the difference? Um, I wouldn't say I'm more happy, because happy is circumstantial, it's a feeling, but I'm filled with a deeper joy that's that's regardless of my circumstances, and that joy comes in trusting and knowing my identity in Christ. Whereas before, I was trying to build my identity in work, in fashions, you know, in in being the go-to, the most popular person. But but that didn't work. That didn't fulfill me. But knowing Christ and knowing that, regardless of whatever situation I'm in, He's there with me. It helps me through the highs and the lows of life. Dennis, you've had highs and you've had lows, and thank you for sharing them with us. We really, really appreciate it. Let's show our appreciation to Dennis. Thank you.